Dennis Stewart, it is chilly at the moment, isn't it? It, it is seems indeed. to have arrived, the cold <laughs> weather. It is indeed, Jane. In fact, driving down uh, yesterday morning from the Hunter, going through uh, Chinaman's Hollow, I saw for the first time this year frost. So it's arrived. Frost is here. <laughs> now, have you got some thoughts to combat those Look, winter we, we do this little spiel every year at the beginning of winter. I'll, I'll give a few tips particularly to elderly people, but not just elderly people, on how to resist some of the wintertime ailments. To a new RFM, your easy listening alternative, Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart, all on winter ailments. Your questions too, 49216216. So what are, what are you going to tell us? How can we well, look, fight off those I th- ills? I think a lot about this topic when I do it each year. I always come back to a couple of old favourites which people uh, talk to me about and claim they get benefit from. Uh, My advice to people, particularly elderly people, as we move into winter, is to start to use foods. Uh, We would call them, if you like, warming spices. I'm talking about those herbs that are characteristically found in things like curry or taken singularly in hot dishes such as capsicum or even taken as a nice warming beverage, such as ginger. I want to talk about the benefits of, at this moment, beginning to use this food group more frequently in a wintertime diet to resist wintertime ailments. I want to talk quickly also about the remarkable herb echinacea and the way in which it's made its fame in Western herbal medicine as a great preventative remedy, uh, working against viral infections in particular, I want to look at the controversial topic of vitamin C and come out in favour of seeing it as a very useful device whose optimum level can be effective in resisting infection and also look at an old favourite that I've done a lot of work on recently. Why was cod liver oil so popular a couple of generations ago? There's a good reason, and we'll talk about that also. And we will also <laughs> now talk to Carol, who's rung in on 49216216 from Wanji Wanji. Uh, Carol, your question's about the benefits of organic sulphur. Is that right? Yes, that's correct. Um, Carol, elaborate a little bit on that for me. What I mean, sulphur is sulphur. Um, I'm not quite sure where you're coming um, from. Okay, Um, my chiropractor, because I have a lot of joint pain, back pain, I was on glucosamine with chondroitin, and he has now recommended of taking organic sulphur. Uh, Carol, I uh, don't know much about this. I've read a fair bit. Um, First of all, I'm not too impressed with the terminology organic sulphur, what well, I mean, sulphur is sulphur, like salt is salt. Um, it has some benefits, obviously, in medicine. Um, is that the same? Well, it's 99% MSM. That's what I'm talking about. Oh, look, you've lost me there. What? <laughs> I think you'd better ask your chiropractor for a little bit more elaboration on that and then come back to me and I can give you a more intelligent response but at this moment, you've ah. lost me a bit. You've lost me a bit uh, on organic sulphur. I'm not bad on organic... I think it, it was actually spelled like not... It's S-U-L-F-U-R, and it's um, methosulfalene methane or something. Is that what you're talking about or what you think it is? 
I'm, I'm not thinking much about it at all at present, <laughs> other, other than that I'm not bad at responding to questions. Ah, this no, one. you've helped but me many times I think before. I recognise your voice, Carol. Go back to him and ask him uh, what he was referring to, then get back to me and I'll give you my opinion on it. It sounds like the best way to go, Carol. Thanks so. for your call, so. and we look forward to learning yeah, more about, about it that. as well. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, uh, well, why don't we start talking right. about our first warming herb? Well, I mentioned in my introduction that there are a group of herbs uh, known as warming herbs, and these herbs are colloquially referred to in our culture as spices, and they range from uh, ginger through to capsicum, through to turmeric, which is the basis of curry, of course. Now, warming herbs uh, have a genuine physiological effect in the body. And before I left my rooms yesterday at New Lambton, I read uh, Simon Mills' book again, The Dictionary of Modern Herbalism. Mills is quite a remarkable man, an Englishman, who uh, is, has written some of the best literature, in my opinion, on herbal medicine. And his definition of warming herbs under the category of circulatory stimulants is very good. The regular daily introduction of these foods into the diet, ideally taken as foods, but they can also be taken as capsules, does two important things. The warming herbs to start with improve circulation to all tissue. And involved in this improvement in circulation activity is an improvement in immunology because um, the competence of the immune system uh, depends upon a significant a flow of blood to compromised or tissues that are vulnerable. So warming herbs uh, direct, if you like, improved blood flow, which brings with it a lot of antibodies and uh, re- uh, infection-fighting agents that can help, particularly elderly people who are compromised, particularly with the respiratory system. And the second thing that warming herbs do, which is very, very important, and by the way explains, Jane, why in Asia, where smoking is, is undertaking at incredible levels, there doesn't seem to be the degree of, of bronchial diseases that we experience in the West. And a, a writer years ago, I think it was a Dr. Zimmet, Z-I-M-M-E-N-T, writing on behalf of the World Health Organization, argued that the use of hot warming substances, spices in the Asian diet, had a protective effect on the lung and the bronchial system by improving the resolution of mucus. And he put forward the definition of these substances as being mucolytic and mucotrophic, which means basically warming herbs when used regularly in the diet or as a supplement can assist in resolving plugs of mucus in the respiratory system which can lead to compromised breathing and also lead to exacerbation of infection. So for those sorts of reasons, the the use of warming herbs is just not folklore. The It is folklore to a degree and we should not in any way at all look down our nose at that. But there is a physiological explanation uh, taken up by Mills in his literature but also uh, found in other literature claiming that the regular daily use of warming herbs, something such as simple as ginger, a ginger tea taken three or four times a day, uh, introducing into our diet, particularly at this time of the year, gentle curries. If you like capsicum or chilli, as I do, getting into a bit of Mexican-type food, this will have, as far as I'm concerned and in my opinion, a significant improving effect on the health of the respiratory system 
resisting infection and making sure that a lot of the mucousy tendency of compromised uh, respiratory systems um, is overcome by these sorts of remedies. And it's health naturally. And Dennis Stewart with us taking your questions, 49216216, and talking about herbs, spices for winter ailments. Mm. And uh, just uh, to follow on from what you were saying, Dennis... uh, the Asian diet is very different from mm. the typical Western diet, yeah. which tends to be a bit stodgy. Correct. There's been a lot of connection between uh, the diet that we brought from the old country, a stodgy uh, diet full of uh, carbohydrates and milk and things like that, but largely devoid of the stimulus and the warming effects of spices and the development of a lot of characteristic, um, what would we call them, Anglo type of conditions, particularly respiratory conditions. In fact, this was part of the uh, analysis that this Dr. Zement gave in the paper that he wrote, in, simply entitled Hot Herbs, that he contended that the deficiency in the Western diet, particularly in very strong Anglo Celtic cultures, the deficiency and the, the, the small amount of stimulus in it fed into, if you like, a tendency to develop chronic bronchial and respiratory conditions, something that he noted, and as I said a moment ago, he claimed was not as evident in Asian countries despite the way in which the respiratory systems were incredibly challenged, particularly in places like China, and to a lesser extent now even in Japan. Uh, so With things like pollution. Oh, very and, much so, mm. and even cigarette smoking. Right. Um, so his contention was that deficiency fed into the Western predilection to have predominant um, respiratory mucousy type conditions develop. And I have noticed, Jane, even in practice, that even suggesting with, with parents that they curtail some of the typical uh, foods that their kids are eating, particularly large, huge amounts of dairy products, I have noticed that there's all, all, almost always some degree of improvement in the production of mucousy or what we used to call catarrhal conditions that can exacerbate or feed into more serious infections. We won't go there, but the emphasis is this. This is not just something that um, uh, should be looked at with interest. There are a lot of elderly people particularly that have compromised respiratory systems, and I want them to go away from my program today taking my hint that if they alter their diet a bit and begin to warm it up fall in love with some of the gentler spices, get a good simple cookbook that tells you how to make a, a simple curry, start to use them as supplements, capsules if you don't want to bring them into your diet, and even some of the warming teas. My contention is particularly that if the elderly with compromised respiratory systems, bronchitis, bronchiectasis, even asthmatic conditions, if they drew on the tradition of traditional medicine, particularly from the East, warm their diet up, I guarantee that there will be some improvement in the mucousy catarrhal status of their respiratory systems. So elderly people, take my hint, but not just elderly people, all people at this time of the year that have a propensity to drift into infection, mucousy states, coughs and colds, take my hint, learn from the importance of the tradition that uses warming herbs. And Dennis, uh, Gavin has rung in from Soldier's Point and uh, apple cider vinegar and ginger. 
is on his mind at the moment. You're wondering about the benefits of that, Gavin? Yeah, um, I rang in very, very late in the program last week. Right. And I was uh, I was talking to you about apple cider vinegar and honey, yeah. but I was going to ask you about adding some ginger to that as well. I, I don't normally take it as a hot tea. Okay. I I just mix it up and um, let the ginger infuse through with the apple cider vinegar and the honey and a bit of water, mm-hmm. and I, I'll sip on that during the night. Yes. Well, I think um, that's... Yep, go on. Um... And I find that it it brings up a lot of phlegm and, yes. and stuff and, yes. and gets rid of it. Yes. But um, uh, I'll take on board what you've said today about those um, hot herbs because, um, yeah, uh, I have a lot of... I, I unfortunately inherited um, bronchitis from yes. my grandfather yes. and... Uh, uh, grandmother and, grand, and um, father. Yes. And, um, you know, so of a winter, it, uh, it knocks me a little bit. I agree. So, well, I think, look, I think you're on the, on the right track. I come back to the point that it really doesn't matter what form you take some of these spices, call them spices or foods. It doesn't matter what form you take them in. Well, you, you indicated there you're using a, a bit of ginger oil, but even an infusion of ginger... A simple uh, tea of ginger um, yeah. is is likely to be as effective as some of the more concentrated uh, or more sophisticated forms. In fact, um, some elderly patients that, that that I see take on board my hint to go to their health food store and get hold of a good uh, ginger tea and start using right. that three or four times a day. I'm not surprised, Gavin, that you're getting a benefit, and I applaud you, uh, for taking on board ginger, because I mentioned to um, to Jane a moment ago and to the listeners that before I came away from my rooms last night, I read some of the literature of the English herbalist Simon Mills, uh, whose literature I've used in all my teaching career. And with reference to these herbs, he puts ginger in the category of, of, of a, a spice or a warming herb that has a particular affinity for the lung. A particular yeah. affinity for the lung. Now, it, all all the warming herbs do the same things in more or less uh, a similar pathway, but some are more effective on okay. some organs than others. Ginger has a particular affinity for the respiratory system, whereas, for instance, chili, <coughs> chili or cayenne is remarkable for its ability to promote improvement in warmth and uh, and circulation to the extremities. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's uh, quite a remarkable agent for people that in wintertime, for instance, get chillblains. The uh-huh. uh, the use on a daily basis of, of chilli or cayenne, even in a capsule form, can very frequently improve uh, the peripheral circulation and lessen some of the symptoms associated with that condition. So, look, what what you're doing there, to my way of thinking, is great. I'm a great supporter, as you know, of the tradition of apple cider vinegar. And I, again, I would mention to listeners, if you get a chance, Google the book um, by the American doctor, Dr. Jarvis, who years ago wrote a book entitled Folk Medicine. Uh, you would still be able to Google it and get it from Amazon or the Book Depot in the UK. 
It's a, a book that's very well worthwhile reading, which started a bit of the revolution and interest in apple cider vinegar and was based, let me emphasize, based on his observation as a young GP working in Vermont, a rural area in the U- U.S., noted the way in which apple cider vinegar was wor- used by the community, both on themselves and on their animals, with great benefit. He looked into it, came out in favour of it, sought to give an explanation to its benefits, and the rest is history. Remember the book. See if you can get hold of it, listeners. Lovely reading. Uh, Dr Jarvis's book, Folk Medicine, was originally uh, published as a pan publication. You probably have to hunt round, but I'm sure you'll be able to get it. But good on you, Gavin. Taking on board that uh, doesn't in any way at all surprise me that with the addition of a bit of ginger, you're bringing up a lot of junk in inverted commas. To a new RFM's Health Naturally and Dennis Stewart taking your calls on 49216216. Uh, John's rung in from Cahiba. John, your questions about fingernails that are peeling or cracked? Hello, John. <laughs> yeah, yeah, hi, Dennis. So recently I went to the skin specialist about yes. other things. And among other things, uh, I've noticed lately, well, fingernails are getting really weak and I'm cutting them back and they're growing, they're growing really long and soft on the edges. Okay. And, and the, the, the doctor told me a herb to take, which starts with A, and I've forgotten what the name of it is. I thought you might know what it was. A herb that starts with A. A, yeah. A, A, A. Okay. Was, was the dermatologist an Asian, an Asian dermatologist? No, no. Okay. Well, it's definitely a herb. Yeah, well, uh, well, some sort of a health thing, I suppose. I, I okay. assume it's... Because usually with cracked fingernails, the first thing that a natural therapist would think of as to suggest supplementation with silica. Um, okay. So, so that, um, and I'm racking my brain at present to think yeah. about a herb that is related to fingernails that starts with A. There are, there are many herbs, and depending upon what, whether one is talking about them in a, in a botanical language or the common well, language, yeah. um, look, ring, ring your dermatologist up. I'm sure yeah. he'd be delighted for you to yeah. contact him and find out uh, yeah. what he what he was talking I about. I the time go and I forgot about it when I left there. I, I wrote it out and then I forgot it. Okay. And uh, look, know, I just, is... you know, it's a hassle to okay. ring him back up again now. Okay. There, there is... A herb popularly used in, in Ayurvedic medicine called Adhatoda, A D H A T O D A. Now, that's mainly used in Ayurvedic herbalism uh, as a, a cardiac herb, but remember, uh, one herb can have multiple properties. So, uh, if you're talking about a herb that starts with A, there's one, Adhatoda, A D A H A T O D A. Have a look at that. Um, I've actually lectured on it from the point of view of its uh, effects on the cardiovascular system. It may indirectly have something to contribute to this, but uh, the shortcut would be to ring your dermatologist. I just thought I'd not chance him No, not really, but try a little bit of silica. He he didn't... uh, I'll just say something, and I'm sure he would have... I was a she, actually. Oh, OK. That's that's good. Look, it's interesting. A lot of... of, uh, Younger medical practitioners, and particularly a lot of uh, female medical practitioners, uh, seem to be warming to herbal medicine. Now, that might sound rather yeah. biased, but it's it's my uh, my observation. One of my uh, best uh, students presently, who's doing uh, a course with me um, on on DVDs, is yeah. in fact a female medical practitioner who has warmed uh, to herbal medicine in 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 a way that is 
quite remarkable. Ring your Dermo. She won't mind telling you. Get back to me and I'll give you an opinion. All right. Thanks for that. Thank you, John. It seems today is puzzle day for Dennis. It is puzzle day. All these things coming from left field, I'm beginning to doubt myself, Jane. Never mind. <laughs> so if you've got a puzzle for Dennis or a question, 49216216. In the meantime, would you like to talk about echinacea? Oh, I could talk about echinacea all day, Jane. Uh, in fact... Uh, I'll start off by saying that the reason that I recommend echinacea, particularly at this time of the year, that echinacea has been beautifully uh, classified and written about by the, the remarkable German uh, doctor and phytotherapist or herbalist, uh, Dr. Rudolf Weiss. In his book, Herbal Medicine, uh, he defines echinacea as an immune stimulant as a non-specific enhancer, he says, of the immune system. What he means here is what we've always known, but how beautifully he put it, is that a modern understanding of echinacea points in the direction that it non-specifically improves the response of the human organism to a challenge from diseases particularly viral or bacterial, or in some cases even more sinister. Now, I've used echinacea from the beginning of my career. It has. Uh, there would be few people, I would contend, that have used as much echinacea in their life as I have used. Uh, but more importantly, uh, the great story about echinacea is yet to be written from an Australian perspective because it was uh, the Emeritus Professor of Physics of this university, Professor Clifton Elliott, who on his retirement from the university, he and his dear wife, Nairi, uh, purchased a lovely little farm on Peach Orchard Road, Arimba, and uh, Cliff sought me out uh, and determined to study with me and, in fact, completed a program that I taught. He, he interestingly, sat with students very much younger than himself. Cliff would have been in his uh, late 70s. He warmed to the students. He qualified. He, in fact, became patron of the National Herbalist Association of Australia. But more importantly, we developed almost a father and son relationship. And even more importantly, we grew together, as far as I'm aware, the first crop of Echinacea purpurea in Australia. And we we grew it on his farm at Peach Orchard Road, Arimba. And equally importantly, what we did with that, we harvested uh, that herb, the whole herb, and converted it into a liquid extract which became very popularly used and purchased by practitioners. As far as I'm aware, we were the first, or certainly one of the first, to harness the German information suggesting that the best species of Echinacea to use was Echinacea purpurea, and in fact the whole herb, including the flowering tops as well as the roots, were were useful. So Echinacea then uh, began to filter into commercial circles and good Australian companies such as Greenridge Botanicals, uh, uh, based at Toowoomba, they grew it in huge acreage on the Darling Downs and developed an echinacea range called Winter Strength Relief. It was developed because in Western herbalism, echinacea has always been seen as both a preventative agent and a very useful agent to treat or help treat uh, diseases, particularly virally based So I promote it and have always promoted it, again, particularly to people with elderly immune systems, 
but not only to, to, to elderly people, but to people generally who go down with a lot of coughs and colds and for whom wintertime is a real challenge, I support it as being a useful natural medicine contribution to their wintertime prophylactic treatment. If you like something that um, can be taken as a, as a supplement, not in any way at all ruling out the importance of vaccination, but seeing this as a food, a medicinal food, a herb with remarkable proven information. And again, I challenge listeners who are good with their computers, punch in echinacea and be prepared to sit for a week looking at the information that supports what I'm saying to you today. Until next week. Okay. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Now, yeah. Michaela has rung in on 49216216 from Gorakin. And, uh, Michaela, you've been told that uh, bad breath might have something to do with a sinus condition. Is that right? Yes, that's right. I, I suffer from that. And, and it's not to do with my teeth. That's all been checked. That's all fine. And I just wondered whether it could be a sinus thing. Did your doctor tell you that, Michaela? Yeah, a herbalist told me that once, but I didn't really. It was a long time ago, and I've never actually like gone ahead with it to find out what I could take to fix that. Your doctor didn't mention it to you? No. Okay. Look, I think what that herbalist was trying to tell you was that perhaps an infection of the upper respiratory tract um, could implicate uh, the lower aspects of the respiratory system and cause some alteration in in your breath. That halitosis, he's saying, and that's the technical term, uh, mm. could be could be associated with infection infection here of the upper respiratory tract. Um, okay. Look, I, I would think that there's some some credibility in that. Um, do you get much sinus? Uh, a little bit, but not a lot. Okay. But my nose feels quite blocked a lot of the time. Okay. Have you discussed this with your GP? No, I haven't okay. yet. <laughs> Look, if it's, if it's blocked all the time, it would indicate some inflammatory activity happening um, on your nasal passages and maybe even further up into the respiratory system. One little suggestion that I would, would, would make to you, um, you can go to your health food store and purchase some fenugreek, right? Okay. Now, fenugreek is popularly used uh, by the ethnic community. It's one of the most popularly used herbs in, in South Asia. It has multiple benefits, but in our system, one of its uses is an agent that progressively clears up mucus in the upper respiratory tract. And if, okay. and if mucus buildup and stuffiness of the nose indicates that there's perhaps a mild infection or even a mild allergy condition, nothing's uh, likely to do better if persevered with than the regular daily use of fenugreek preparations. You can take it as a tea. Uh, I frequently recommend it as a supplement, as a capsule, uh, a couple of capsules, take it a couple of times a day. It's worthwhile giving a go if you think that there might be some congestive catarrhal conditions in your sinuses that are also implicating your breathing. But let me just say here, um, halitosis um, is one of these troublesome conditions which, in my experience, and I'm not a general practitioner, so I'm talking from my experience, can have multiple, can have multiple causes. Even I've noticed emotional factors uh, can be implicated 
in this when, to use old time language, when the stomach becomes sour, in inverted commas, sometimes mm-hmm. this can reflect itself in breath problems. Oh, now, okay. one little thing that you can do, and I can speak with confidence on this, this rarely misses. One thing you can do is get hold of some liquid chlorophyll. Now, liquid chlorophyll is a cheap liquid supplement that, again, our good health food stores in this town have on their shelves. It's harmless, and it's referred to in our system as a great detoxifier of the gastrointestinal tract. Uh, Mm -hmm. The theory is that it bundles up, if you like, uh, waste, uh, products that need to be excreted more efficiently and gets them out of the system, albeit it is not a cathartic uh, or um, laxative substance. In naturopathic language, it's basically called a plant uh, detoxifier. But the end result, whether that's an adequate explanation or not, and perhaps it isn't, but one of the most pleasant results is that can it can, uh, how can I call it, ameliorate, if not resolve, some of the most intractable conditions of halitosis or bad breath. Um, so my my explanation or connection of it with sinus might be off the mark, but a bit of fenugreek is not going to hurt you. But for goodness sake, if you're concerned about it at a personal level, uh, go and get some of, of the um, juice and, and use that. Chlorophyll on a, on, a, on a daily basis, a small amount, pers- persevere with that and you will know and certainly those around you will know if it's working for you. Health Naturally on 2NURFM and uh, well I did promise Dennis that uh, we would find out your thoughts on Carol's question. She's rung in from Soldiers Point about calcium and whether that might help with osteoporosis. Is that, That's your question isn't it Carol? Oh, that's right. Hello, Carol. Hello, Dennis. Look, uh, yes. I think you have to be a little bit cautious here. Um, yes, I watched that show on Insight. Yes. And they did say that calcium supplement could have other effects. Look, I would tend to concur with that. I think you can overemphasize the intake of calcium. Has your doctor done a blood test on you? Presumably he has. Uh, yes. Yes. And your calcium levels were okay? Uh, yes, but I was taking the calcium. Okay, you were taking... I have got, I have got lactose intolerance, so yes. I, I know you get calcium out of other foods. Yes. I don't, probably don't do a lot of dairy. Uh, but you, you're taking calcium, but... I'm you're... taking one calcium every yeah. day. Okay. Now, and your calcium levels are stable and okay? They are, yes. Okay. And you have osteoporosis? I do, and I have the needle every six months. Well, in my opinion, that's the right therapy. I can't yeah. see I can't see any great virtue in um, filling yourself up with more calcium if your calcium levels have been shown to be okay. And taking more calcium doesn't necessarily mean to say that it's going to reflect any improvement in the osteoporosis. If there is a deficiency of calcium. I think that's that's another situation. Uh, when, when I had the blood test, yes. I was taking a supplement. Yes. Well, so I had been on a supplement for yes. a while. Had the okay. blood. Well, I, so, I, yes. You're, you're not. Are you suggesting that your osteoporosis might be coming from the calcium supplement? No, I wasn't no. taking it no. before I was no. um, 
before I had it. Yeah. Now look, but if, if I went off it, maybe, and then next blood test, see what the levels are, maybe. Look, what I, you're, you're having these um, injections from, from your doctor. Um, what I would do in your complex case is, is put it to him, uh, what was happening, the, your calcium levels were okay, was that associated with the supplement you were taking, which it probably was, and would he be happy if you were to go off that uh, to see whether or not you needed to be on it or whether other factors in your diet were giving you an, alcium, uh, an, an adequate level of calcium. Talk it, uh, talk it over with him. He's, okay. ma- he's managing your osteoporosis. And as I say to people that ha- have, say, other conditions like thyroid conditions, stay with the medical professionals. Don't fiddle with anecdotal information or advice that isn't sound. In your case taking the calcium may well have contributed to your stable calcium level, but it's not going to reflect itself, in my opinion, too much on your osteoporosis unless your calcium levels are significantly low. Take it up with your GP, Carol. Thank you, Carol, for your call. And I think we've got a little bit of time to think Mm. about vitamin C. Now, Mm. it has been promoted as um, really helping Mm. the immune Mm. system, Mm. Um, but there's a bit of controversy connected to it. There's controversy about vitamin C. There's a controversy about a lot of things that, how can you call it, that don't fit in to the mainstream model of of, of medicine. But it was uh, Dr Linus Pauling, himself a doctor, that came out in favour years and years ago of seeing vitamin C at optimum levels um, having a benefit in resisting and helping the immune system fight infection. And from his work and study and uh, determinations emerged, how can you call it, the, the modern emphasis on taking vitamin C as a supplement, particularly people that have compromised uh, systems. I subscribe to Dr Linus Pauling's ideas and believe that uh, a deficiency, even a mild deficiency in vitamin C, lessens our resistance to infection and an optimum level of vitamin C is something that must inevitably enhance our resistance to infection. And particularly with elderly people, whose diets may not be as good as what they should be and may not be getting an adequate amount of vitamin C in their tucker, so to speak, going to your pharmacy or health food store, getting a vitamin C supplement, which is cheap, taking that is the third member of the team that we've been talking about today that works against wintertime conditions. So we've talked quite a bit about... um, um herbs that are going to warm. We've still got a couple of minutes left. And one thing that might intrigue some listeners, when I was a, a very young person, that's a long time ago, Jane, growing up in, in Crest Road Walls End, I can remember Friday night being given a preparation of cod liver oil and I would run a million miles from that stuff. But researching it over the years has led me to believe that there was an understanding of cod liver oil which was sound. Cod liver oil has a lot of vitamin A and a lot of vitamin D. It was put forward, and in the older medical literature, it's been seen as a useful agent, primarily for people that have chronic respiratory conditions, very serious respiratory conditions, where taking the cod liver oil was seen as a useful tonic, but with specific benefits from the vitamin A and vitamin D content on the respiratory mucous membrane. I haven't spoken much about 
cod liver oil in the past. But in my opinion, it's making a bit of a renaissance. And it's cheap. So maybe we can see better in the dark, too, if it's got <laughs> vitamin A and vitamin D. Well, there are limitations, Jane. Limitations, I don't know. So uh, carrots, of course, are very good for Oh, that. look, they are indeed. But we've got to be cautious, even with something like uh, cod liver oil, that we don't just restrict its benefits to one or two constituents. That, I think, is the big danger of much natural medicine today. It's obsessed with trying to find that magic bullet in a food or a herb that explains its benefit. We can't do that. Look at a cabbage, for instance. Are you going to just talk about cabbage being useful because it's got vitamin K in it or something else? No. And so with cod liver oil, it's a great tonic preparation, a lot of benefits uh, for elderly people with chronic respiratory systems. Is it associated just with vitamin A and D? No, not really, but they're constituents to its benefit. Fantastic. Thank you, Dennis Stewart, for today. And Health Naturally will be back next Friday after the midday news on 2NURFM. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.